people really are important to God. And you find that He wants us to be His ambassadors of love to each other. So let's kind of before, I want to narrow this down at the end to a specific point. But before we get there, let's kind of get a flavor for what the Bible has to say for love. Um, if you go to the next slide, there's a verse there that says, it's 1 John 3.16. It's not John 3.16, but 1 John 3.16. It says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. What's interesting is John wrote this nearly 60 years after he was in the upper room with Jesus, shortly before Jesus was going to be arrested and then die on the cross for our sins. Um, and what's interesting is when they were in the upper room, and this is what's considered the, um, what you might have heard is the Last Supper, where Jesus broke the bread and passed the wine, and then that's where we get our um, ritual of communion from. And uh, he, the, the disciples were actually arguing about who would be the greatest in the kingdom of God. They really understood Christ's kingdom as his place of position and power. And shortly after that, Jesus then, and John was one of the ones who was, who was part of this arguing, and shortly after that, Jesus washed their feet, which is the role of the servant of the household, not the role of the master. And then he began to tell them about the, how, the greatest in his, well, how the greatest in his kingdom will be the last, and things like that, and just really began to set the tone for the difference of what leadership and what love is in the kingdom of God. And then shortly after that, he went to, to die on the cross. And <clears throat> what's interesting about, and you know, most of us know the story of Jesus dying on the cross. But it's, me and my daughter were having a phone or conversation the other day in the car coming back from Christmas. And she was asking me about, you know, it's funny. You, think you're, you take for granted that your kids don't have the same knowledge as you. And so, um, you know, she thought Jesus was born at the very beginning of time. You know, didn't realize it was 2,000 years, or sorry, like whatever, however many thousands of years later, it's only been 2,000 years since he was alive. And so we were talking about some of these things, and she really was having a hard time understanding about um, this whole thing about him dying on the cross for our sins, but yet we still have to, like, kind of be good, and where does that work out? And so I tried to explain it to her. I said, you know, it's kind of like, you know, and she, we actually somehow we got in the conversation of the Jewish law, which is... A strange conversation now with your 10-year-old daughter. But, so, you know, we were explaining what the Jewish law was meant to do and all this. And basically, bringing it all down, I said, I said, Ellie, it's almost like God came to you and said, here's a paper that I want you to write for school. And made it really difficult, laid out all the things that he wants you to do. And he wants it in German. And then he wants you to also he also wants you to be able to translate it in Arabic too. And just really difficult paper and he wants you to do it and it's really great assignment and you start to do it and you're working really hard, you're studying, you're doing it and then you realize like there's no way I'm going to be able to complete this paper at all. And you turn into your teacher and you say this is the absolute best I can do. I was extremely diligent. I worked very hard. I hardly slept. I studied my Arabic. I studied my German. I tried to do the translations right, but here it is. And the teacher looks at it and says, okay, well, let's erase this, and I'll do this, let's do this. And just, uh, how about, the teacher says, you know, how about I give you my paper? 
How about rather than turning in your paper, we'll turn in my paper. And then we'll, 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 we'll give you the grade based on my paper. And so that's kind of what Christ has done. He said, let me come live the perfect life. Let me fulfill all these things that the Jewish law had to, wanted us to fulfill. I'll fulfill it. I'll die on the cross and I'll suffer the wrath of God for all your sin. Because one thing, God is loving, but God's also very just. He doesn't allow wrongs to just be looked over. Wrongs can't be looked over in God's reality. So there has to be a price paid for it. But he's also so loving that he wants, he wants to forgive us. But he can't forgive us unless those wrongs are taken care of. Does that make sense? So, he came down, he fulfilled the law, he died on the cross, he paid for those wrongs himself. And then now when we come to God, we can say, God, I can't fulfill the law. I can't fulfill these do this, don't do that. I can't be good enough. I can't be loving enough. I can't treat my wife the way I know I ought to. I can't be the consistent parent I know I should. I can't always do what's right with my money. I can't always keep a hold of my anger. I can't always say, you're the creator of the universe. What do you want me to do? So, will you forgive me? Will you exchange my life for the life of Jesus? And he does that. So, anyways... This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for your brothers. John changed from 60 years earlier when he wrote this. He got the picture of Christ's love. You'll see that there's a flow in Scripture of love. It goes from, love as I have loved, so that mankind will know you are my disciples and who I am. All right, there's a question you have. Let's dig a little deeper in this whole concept of biblical love. What are the effects and how to do it? All right, sorry, let me back up for a second. How much are we to love? The next slide is John 15, 12 through 13. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. The next verse says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. 1 John 4, 11-12. <clears throat> the effects of taking biblical love seriously... are that people actually get to see the love of God manifested in their own lives. Um, I read an author once, and I, I wish I could remember the name of who this was, but the concept, his concept was God's plan A for showing his love, God's plan A for taking care of us are, is through relationships. God's plan A for you experiencing the love of God is through relationships. God's plan A for your, for your emotional and spiritual growth 
is through, um, well, emotional growth is through um, relationships. God wants to take care of us through relationships, through people. We are his ambassadors to one another. Um, It says by, um, the next verse says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. John 13, 35. Um, if you look in the, um, I've been reading a book lately called uh, Measure of a Healthy Church by Gene Getz. And uh, <clears throat> he talks about, um, he has a chapter on the love of God in there and biblical love and how it relates to the, the church body as a whole. And one of the things he, he talks, there's, I guess there's a theological, <clears throat> not a theological term, but basically an, uh, an assessment of scripture in the epistles where there's 50 calls to love one another in the epistles. 50 individual calls where it says, you know, basically saying love people, love one another, love, love, love. Not actually saying how, but saying to do it. I thought that was pretty interesting. And then also, um, there are, well, let's, let's move on. There's the, the next slide shows you that this is some guy by the name of Drummond, Henry Drummond. And he took the um, 1 Corinthians 13, which is called the love chapter, and he just basically pulled out what's called the spectrum of love. And this is the spectrum of God's love. And you kind of see there, just to kind of give you a flavor for it, it's patience, kindness, generosity, humility, courtesy, unselfishness, good temper, guilelessness. Anybody know what that means? Neither did I. It means... One who doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Um, Sincerity. This kind of gives you an idea of what the Bible is trying to say when it talks about love, biblical love. Love is patient, love is kind, love does not, love is generous. Um, The next slide, Ephesians 4.16 From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Um, This is kind of going back to the whole thing I was talking about, how God's plan A is is, um, people. Um, As each part of the body does its work, and and the Bible, when when it's talking about the body here, the Bible refers to the church, the people in the church is the body of Christ. Saying everybody has their own parts. And as everybody does their work, and as everybody fulfills and lives out these things like to love others, and we're going to get into talking about something called the one another here in a minute. But as everybody does their part, the church is actually built up and supported and, and, and grows. And, and it becomes a place of healing. It becomes a place of, um, of strength in the world. It becomes a place where, um, of refuge to people. It becomes a place where people, when people join in to this group of people, they really begin to experience God's love and then begin to say, this is a place that I want to be. This is a place of acceptance. This is a place of love. This is a place of generosity. This is a place of kindness. This is a place that will challenge my wrongs in a loving way. This is a place that can... Reparent me. This is a place that I can 
find purpose in, that I can serve in. This is a place that gives life meaning. And, and you know what's interesting is there really is something unique about the body of God, body of Christ, that God has made. There really is something unique about Christians. And it has nothing to do with us. It has to do with His work in us. It has to do with His love pouring through us to other people. And you find that if, if the body functions in the way that Scripture wants it to, and again, it may sound like I'm getting back to this, do this, do this, do this, don't do this, but I'm saying as we begin to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, as we begin to allow Jesus to take control, as we begin to allow to meditate on who He is and what He did for us, and we begin to allow Him to, to have a lordship over our lives, to actually say, to actually give Him a say in all the categories of our life, as we begin to allow Him to do that, we, we really begin to help each other. We begin to form this, this healing community where people can really experience God and really grow and really find the love of God. Um, you've heard the, it's a scripture, but you've heard, you know, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. It's true. The greatest of these is love. And without it, everything else, everything else stands on that. Everything that God has done stands on love. Um, so, how specifically then should we love? Um, the, the scriptures actually lay out a lot of specifics on how to love. There's something called the one another's that you find in, in a lot of Paul's writings. And the one another's is just kind of a catchphrase of, just encompassing a bunch of parts of Scripture that, that say, you know, like love one another, but, you know, serve one another, these things like that. Let me, let me kind of read you through. This is, these are summaries taken out of Scripture, but these are things found in Scripture. Um, these, this is a small list of some of the one another's. And I just want you to kind of get a flavor of, of what's meant by the love of God. We are to serve one another. We are to carry one another's burdens. We are to encourage one another. We are to care for one another. We are to function as members of one another. We are to be devoted to one another. We are to honor one another. We are to accept one another. We are to instruct one another. We are to greet one another. We are to bear with one another. We are to be kind to one another. We are to submit to one another. We are to offer hospitality to one another. We are to offer, we are to fellowship with one another, and we are to edify one another. Edify is this whole concept of building up rather than tearing down. I thought it was pretty cool that they actually go as far, the scripture actually goes as far as to say greet one another. And we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit more specifically here in a little bit, but Let's think about that simple concept of greeting one another. You're sitting in a room, you're talking to people, someone comes in, and you lift your head and you say, Hey, Chris, how you doing? And you go back to your work. Seems like a simple thing, but you know how important that is to Chris? To walk into a room and have someone notice he walks in a room, to stop and say, Hey, Chris, and go back to what they're doing. It's really a loving thing to do. All right, so what then? 
So we're talking about biblical love. So we see all the one another. So we see the 50 calls to love. So we see that Christ laid his life and he wants us to lay our lives down for one another. So we see that. That's really great. You know, that sounds really big. And it is really big. But, but what does that mean for me today, right now? And, you know, we could start a whole message series about what that means for you today. But I want to focus in on one thing and um, bring it kind of back to the video, and that's people and their story. Every single one of us has a story. Every single one of us has hurt, has pain, has trouble that we're experiencing, has good experiences that we want to share with each other. We have valuable life lessons that we, that we could help each other with. We have different gifts and talents that could help each other when they're in need of those gifts and talents. Some of us are up when others are down. We, the reality is, is we need each other. But the reality is, too, if you're going to use each other in a good way, you've got to know each other. Now, our church has no problem getting to know each other for the most part. I would say we have a nice family going on here. But as we grow, it's going to be a little more difficult to get to know everybody. And what we need to have this concept of is what we can call a culture of caring. Of that people are worth getting to know. And I kind of see it as, um, <clears throat> anytime I meet someone new, and a friend of mine actually jokes about this, um, but anytime I meet someone new, I, I imagine that they're on my talk show. And I'm interviewing them. And it really helps me to, one, relax, because, hey, they're on my talk show. And, um, two, it it gives you a framework for questions, because we've all watched plenty of talk shows. We know what the questions are. We know what to ask. And we know when someone brings up something, we know we need to dig a little deeper. And I call it um, probing, not prying. Because it really comes to a point where you're prying. You know, if you imagine a crowbar, you're going to get that box open. And if people are wanting to stay shut, that's okay. But you can probe questions. And you know what I do? I mean, I don't know, maybe this is wrong, but when I'm probing, if they're opening up, then I just keep going. And I know it scares my wife, and I know it scares people around me sometimes, but I don't know, unless I'm just oblivious to it all, I find that it... It seems to be helpful. People want to talk about their self, themselves. <clears throat> Excuse me. People want to share their story. People want people to know what's going on if they feel comfortable with you. Um, also, there kind of has to be some guidelines to caring for each other. And, and I believe me, I am not going to This is not going to be an all-encompassing sermon on how to care for each other, how to help each other with our problems, how to get to know each other. This isn't going to be a sermon on being a good listener. I thought about going that route. I thought thought about so many routes. So I just decided to kind of touch on this whole concept and then allow you to kind of do the work yourselves and figure out what your role is is in all this. Because some of us do have different gifting. Some of us aren't. It's harder to probe. It's harder to go up to someone and start asking them questions. I understand it's easy for me. But the reality is, is we all need to do it. We all need to value each other enough to become friends with each other. 
And that doesn't mean everybody in this room is going to be your close personal friend. But it means those that, those that the Lord puts in front of you, you make an effort to get to know and you see where that relationship goes. Or you just make sure that everybody's taken care of. That makes sense. You know? Does this person, does this person have a good network, a good support group, a good group of friends around them? Um, also, what you'll find too is that it's really okay to be friends with people who aren't like you. It can be scary and difficult. We had, there was this couple that we got to know a few years or several years back that were nothing like me in my life. And it was so scary for us. I remember the first time we were going to meet with them, I was just like, what are we going to talk about? Like, I mean, I was scared and I feel like I'm a pretty outgoing person. What are we going to talk about? You know, in the first few times, it was just, it was just weird and uncomfortable and messy. But now, as years have gone by, I, I literally, these people are almost like family to us now. And um, I learned a great and valuable lesson from that, that you just really don't know who you can be close to. You can be close to all types of people. Our common ground is Jesus and even with those who aren't believers, our common ground is Jesus. Because they need Jesus. Now, what happens after you get to know people? What happens when you find out that someone has a problem? What happens when you, when you start probing and you get to know people and you're like, oh my gosh, there's, there's something going on here. You know, I have a role to play. I'm going to go in and rescue them. You know, what... What are some rules to that? What, what can you do? What can you really do? So here's where I'm going to give you some specifics. Um, the roles you cannot play. We should have a slide for this. These are the roles you cannot play in a person's life. And I took this from a, a mentor of our churches uh, named Harold Bullock. This is from his, um, I think he did a message series on how to help people with their trouble, with problems. And... Uh, you cannot be the mechanic. You can't be the, the fix-it person. You're not going to go in and fix all their problems for them. You can't be the enforcer. You can't say, hey, you were going to uh, get up at 7 every day. What's going on? Are, are you getting up at 7? You're calling them, are you doing it? Did you do it? Don't, don't be that for people. You can be their accountable part. I mean, you, if they want to call you and be like, yeah, I didn't, you know, I, didn't, I didn't do it, or yeah, I did it, I mean, you could be that person. But don't be the enforcer. Does that make sense? There's a difference. Don't try to be the Mr. or Mrs. Answer Man. This is an area that I struggle with. Uh, I, I, take, um, I think I get a little bit of a thrill out of being the answer man. Because it makes me feel good, like I know something, you know. Like, hey, I answered their problem. I answered their question. Knowledge puffs up, the scripture says. Um, also, don't be the last hope for someone. Um, I don't know if anybody can really be the last hope for anybody. It's a lot of pressure to put on yourself. And honestly, 
we may just not be equipped enough to be someone's last hope. Um, unless you're, unless this is a defined role and you are trained in this and like I said, it's defined, don't be someone's counselor. And when I mean that, because the Bible says that, you know, counsel is, is, good, is a good thing and it's really talking about advising. Um, what I mean by is today's modern day of the viewpoint of a clinical counselor. Try not to be someone's therapist. Um, unless that's a, a, a specific role that you've set up with them and you're trained in that area, and even if it's for pay or not for pay. Um, so what can you do then? If you can't do those things, what can you do? All right, what you can do for people is you can be a listener. And don't ever, ever, ever underestimate the power of listening. And you know what? You could literally have a whole sermon on how to listen. I'm holding myself back right now. And I'm not a very good listener. Maybe that's why I have so much to say about it. (laughs) But um, all I'll say about listening, all right, all I'll say about listening, accept each other while listening. Don't quickly move into judgment and teaching. I struggle with that so much. I immediately want to go in and be like, this is how you do it. Let's teach. Or why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? Identify, clarify, probe. Start with those. Identify. That helps you accept the person where they're at. Where do you struggle with the same thing when listening? Clarify. Are you really hearing them right? You know? Ask, answer, ask some questions just to kind of see, like, just to really figure out the situation because that keeps you from judging. And, and you know, in marriage, this is something that me and my wife are always going back and forth on. I'm always struggling. I jump immediately to, I know exactly what she's saying and I don't like it. And then later I'll find out, like, oh, that's not what she was saying. If I would have just asked a couple clarifying questions, it could have been so much easier. This is probably most difficult in marriage, I would say. Listening. All right, encourager. It's another role you can play. You can be an encourager. And this whole idea of encouragement, it means to actually infuse someone with courage. You're encouraging them. So whatever that looks like, if that's a... I'm encouraging you to get up before you die. I don't, I don't know, that's a terrible example. But <laughs> nothing came to mind there when, when I was <laughs> thinking of an example. But if that's kind of a, a kick in a very loving way because they're about to get seriously hurt, sometimes that's what's needed. But done so in love, 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 bathed in love, love, love. If that's uh, instilling with confidence, you know, in the, in the right things, if verbally helping someone be confident about something when it's the right thing, then that's what it looks like too. So encouragement has a lot of, sometimes it's just coming alongside but side somebody and saying, you know what, hang in there. This will pass, you will be okay. 
You will make it. This will work out. And if it doesn't, then it doesn't. And then we're here for you when it doesn't. And we'll get through that together too. You can be a co-analyzer with people. Um, this is really where, um, the next two are really where, this is what separates my counselor and Mr. Fix-It and the answer man, all that stuff. This is where it really sets those, people who like to be those roles, this is where it really sets the tone for you guys. Be a co-analyzer. Help people analyze a situation. That's really what an advisor does. Analyze the situation. Make sure they're looking at all different angles. I was playing Boggle the other night on New Year's Eve. And I found out I'm not too good at Boggle. And uh, although I did get a better score each turn. so maybe that's. Um, but somebody decided, like, oh, let's turn it, like, partway. I, I never played Boggle. So um, you're looking at these letters. I, have you guys played? You're trying to figure out, like, spell out words, and they're all touching, so you're analyzing the board. And then all of a sudden someone turns it, and you're like, oh, man, there's like a whole bunch more words now just because of a different perspective. And, <clears throat> and sometimes we need that. Someone has a different perspective. They're looking at it out of a different uh, role, a different viewpoint, a different personality, different gender, different set of gifts. So we need co-analyzers. Um, next one, strategy suggester and advisor. Um, you could be someone who helps suggest strategies. When someone's dealing with a problem or someone's having a hard time, like, you know, I was helping, I was talking with a friend of mine a few months ago about, um, he was struggling with um, an addiction to um, Norco. It's kind of like Vicodin. And um, uh, I was helping him come up with strategies for how to stay clean and get sober. And it's very difficult because when you're just a strategy suggester, that's all you are. It's really up to the person to nail down the strategy they want to use and, and go with it and, and be responsible to do it. In that relationship, I just had to say, yeah, I think this is good. I think this is good. I think this is what you should do. This is what I've learned. You know, this is a good strategy. And then back up and let them do with it what they're going to do with it. And sometimes watch them utterly make a mess of their lives. And, um, and that's heartbreaking. But they're responsible for their life. Now, when he's doing those strategies, I can come along inside and be like, and, and encourage him to live out the strategy he chose and landed on. Like, hey, how's that going? Not enforcing it. <laughs> you know, and if, let's say, he's not doing it, well, you know what the consequences are, right? You know, like, I mean, that's part of encouraging sometimes, you know. Or, wow, you're doing great, man. Just keep it going. I'm, oh, gosh, this is, this is amazing. Don't you see the fruit of doing this? Isn't this great? I can't, this is amazing. Encouraging the strategy they've landed on. And lastly, you can be a prayer partner. And again, like I said, with being a listener and end with being a prayer partner, do not underestimate the power of praying for people. This is, an, this, is, this is something that I want to get more into my life. I want to pray for, for my friends more. 
Because, man, when people tell me they're praying for me, I, I mean, I'm just like, really? You're praying for me? Like, you care enough to actually take time alone with God and pray for me? Like, I'm, I value, I'm, I'm, I'm that much of a value to you? And now, now, in addition to that, of course, we, what's going on in the spiritual realm when people pray for us? I don't know. I'm not a pastor, I'm not a theologian, I can't tell you. But I know that God commands and asks us to pray for one another. So it must be important to him. It must play some role in helping us. So, alright, and then before we close here, just remember, in helping get to know people and helping people and caring for one another and loving one another, I want you to bathe this whole concept with it's not about you. It's ultimately about God, but it's about the person you're trying to help. What is most helpful to them? Not what is easy for you. Not what is what makes your, you feel good about yourself. Not what gives you an ego about wow, I really have a role in the church of God. Or wow, you know, these people really need me. This feels great. It's really about the person you're trying to help. So let's pray. And the band will come up and... uh, Lead us in some more worship. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth, Lord. Every time I I study your word and I have this aha experience of seeing how it applies to reality, I'm just amazed at how real you are, how loving you are, and just how deep your wisdom goes and is. And Lord, we thank you for that and we thank you how it is your goal to save us and redeem us and to give us the best life we can possibly have here on earth and to, and to um, bless us with a true life with you in eternity. We pray for this church, Lord. We pray that you make us a, a community that is healing to those who come into it, that we'd be a refuge to those who need help And that we would be a witness to those who don't know anything about Jesus Christ. And all these things. Amen. This time the ushers are going to come around and um, grab the offering from everybody. We thank you, Lord, uh, so much for your faithful giving. Everything we do here at OCC is supported by you. Um, For those of you who maybe aren't aware of the new offering envelopes that we have that makes life a lot easier. I know me and my wife use them and it's been, it's been really nice. Um, you can also set up to have your, your offering come up uh, on the website. You can sign up for your automatic or your automated giving.
the skies of mercy rain down the cleansing flood healing waters rise around us hear our cries Lord and let them rise it's your kindness Lord that leads us to repentance your favor Lord it's our desire, and it's your beauty, Lord, that makes us stand in silence. Your love, your love is better than life. We can feel mercy falling. You are turning our hearts back again. Here our praises rise to heaven. Draw us near, Lord, and meet us here in your kindness, Lord. your word to sink in, Lord, and, and what you say about loving others, and, and Lord, how you use that 
to help people come to know you, God. Through a love, God, that you've shown through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we want to emulate that. We thank you, Lord, for this morning. We pray in your son, Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we finish out our service this morning.